0: Welcome to the God is not an asshole podcast. If you are one of the many people done with religious dogmatism, hang on. You might sense transcendence, but your church or other faith community never seem to get off the ground. You realize that honoring your conscience means more than fitting in and keeping hard to explain rules? Hang on. You could probably think of the goodness in your tradition, and you tried your best to save that baby, but there's so much bathwater. Join your host, David Norman Moore Jr. in California and Kerry Connolly in New Jersey, who are collaborating to bring on guests who have found life on the other side of fundamentalism. Guests with stories of how they have liberated themselves from beliefs that divide us from each other. None of our guests' narratives are identical, but we hope you'll find something in common with each of them. We invite you to experience our common bond as we all inspire even more of us to embrace the true self.
1: I was in a church uh, some years ago on a Sunday and, uh, you know, they they had a, a, an American flag uh, up there and it happened to be um, what, you know, on the Christian calendar we call Sunday or Pentecost. And they invited me to say something about the day. And so that's what I talked about. I talked about, you know, this today is, you know, Fiftieth day from Easter and all of that, but then the service just went in a completely different way. They 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 said the Pledge of Allegiance because it was it was also Memorial Day, right? And so that supplanted the that you know that supplanted the fact that okay th- you know forget the church calendar let's let, let's go with the American calendar. Um, they did the pledge. They uh, sang I don't know one of the not the national anthem, but one of those songs, you know, I don't know, God bless America or something like that. Yeah. And they, and they brought uh, a veteran up and honored him. Uh, And so to me, we need to look at what churches do, which is, I think, why you write one of the reasons you write, you know, books like this, you know, the theology book. Uh, How do we, how do we even get churches to look in the mirror and recognize that this is not,
2: this is not the idea. This is not the plan. This is not the mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um so civil religion has always been the main religion in this country from its very inception. It still is today. Most churches think they're Christian, but they're actually, they're just following some kind of civil religion of Christianity. Um, for, for my wife and myself, uh, you know, uh, and, and I realize this isn't the answer for everybody, but about 15 years ago, we stopped, we stopped being Christians. We, we weren't really that good at it anyway. You know, we didn't know what a narthex was, or we didn't know, you know, what, <laughs> what, what it would say on Pentecost Sunday or Lent or anything that. And we had to look up what Lent is. So, uh, but, uh, we just, we realized, you know, Hey, you know, first of all, Jesus never became a Christian. And, uh, secondly, um, you know yeah uh, yeah so so he 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 stayed who he was uh and secondly nobody in the scriptures ever called themselves a christian and uh thirdly if uh, i don't even think jesus came to start a religion he came to start a movement and, and and if he did come to start a religion it wouldn't look anything like western christianity so i feel like we're pretty safe and we practice our native traditions and things and uh um and then we're just followers of jesus you know so, um, and that's a whole lot easier than trying to uh, uh, decipher what Christians are about because they're not about Jesus work by and large. So, um, so that I think for us, that's that was how we did it. Um, that's so refreshing. No, and I was able to see a lot more clearly after that. You know, that's so
3: refreshing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How do you think we we going back to the the whole idea of the the worldview? Um, it always used to give me like heebie-jeebies when my former pastor would say, we have to get our church members to have a Christian worldview. I was like, please don't mess with my worldview. I don't like that freaks me out. But I'm curious to know how you, how do we even get people to begin to wonder about their worldview, to recognize that they have one (laughs) and that it's a lens through which they see everything and to begin to interrogate it how do we in, ignite that curiosity in people
2: yeah well you know how i do it is i write books and <laughs> in, <laughs> in my last two books well my, actually all three are published in 2022 they all talk about worldview some go deeper than others but um we we the the other book mission and the cultural other a closer look uh starts off the whole introduction is about worldview and trying to educate people that they have a world particular worldview and, and uh, that, that worldview, and of course, my teachings, my wife and I are just, um, we just turned in our final draft for a, a new book that'll be out in 2024 uh, called Journey to Alahey How Indigenous Values Can uh, Bring Harmony and Wellbeing. And, and basically, we go deep into worldview and in that and talk about, you know, uh, that the, you know, we talk about the climate and, and all that yeah, sort of yeah, stuff yeah. and talk about how the, the Western worldview is basically a failed experiment and uh, and it's only going to lead us to disaster Um, we can't survive as a species uh with the if we continue with the western sort of extractive model and competition model so we have to change our worldviews or we're not gonna we're not gonna there's not gonna be enough of us around left to to matter okay so so you uh, call
1: it a failed a failed experiment now exactly um when when it's a I uh, have been ordained in two denominations and one of them is the uh, Foursquare Church, International Church of the Foursquare Gospel. And I was at the convention, I don't know, maybe three, four years ago, maybe longer because it was pre-COVID. I was, I was at this convention where they were going to elect a new president. And there were two people. Uh, there was a woman, um, and there was this man and they gave campaign speeches. And he talked about how we need to do something to, uh, th- that, um, uh, the, th- that Western civilization is under siege, that we've got to, you know, save, uh, the Western worldview. And I sent him an email. I and mean, by the name, his name is Randy also. Um, <laughs> he, he, uh, I sent him an email and then later I sent him another email and he replied. He said, well, let's have a conversation. He listened he was the outlier in this election but he played it well and he won he is now the president of the denomination because you you have this collective of people with a religious ideology that is based in westernism exactly and, which is not the message of jesus right. can, can you show us how indigeneity is you know is the contrast to all of that
2: yeah so those who haven't been as affected by the Western worldview are, I think, very helpful. But we've all been affected by it in some ways. You know, we've all uh, had a, a worldview that's based on dualism, which is sort of the foundational uh, premise of uh, the Western worldview is that the ethereal plane is is uh, privileged above the material plane, right? So, so it's what you think and it's your spirit, et cetera, over your body, over the earth, et cetera. And so, and that comes, of course, from Plato, and then it was passed down to Aristotle, and then Alexander the Great, who was his student, and Hellenism, and then the Renaissance, and Great Britain became the, you know, inheritor of that, and then America, you know, that. that's in that. And, and two evil twins were born out of that Renaissance movement, and it's a Renaissance, it's what, to bring back Greek thinking, Greek art, Greek architecture, you know, Greco-Roman um, philosophers and poets, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what it means to be educated. Still, at the yes. highest places in uh, England and in America, is you know reading the classics, quote unquote. And um, and as a result, uh, what you have is people thinking like, well, this is the worldview that that is the highest form of civilization, which is what supremacist people have always thought about themselves. They, whether it was the Greeks or the Romans or the Brits or whoever, you know, we are the highest form okay. of civilization, and. Uh, uh, and everybody else is sub part of that. In other words, subhuman.
1: Right.
2: And it just takes a little bit of dehumanization and makes somebody else not as human as you. Right. But those who haven't been affected as much, we understand ourselves as all equal. We understand our ourselves as part, as equal partners in the whole community of creation, not just human beings. And, okay, Randy, and everything else. Randy, we started today.
1: This conversation, I uh, uh, you know, talking about the book, how the Irish became white, and then there's this other book, how the how the Irish saved civilization. <laughs> so, um, wh- what what does that mean? Uh, you know, I haven't read that book, so I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, uh, you, you know, you're talking about you know, no reading the classics and and you know, the revival, the Renaissance, the revival of, you know, of Greek culture and Greek thought. And, there, and the Irish had a role in preserving uh, preserving documents, uh, uh, you know, that, that culture. And so the Irish are also given credit for, for saving Westernism, the, if you will. The colonized Irish. The colonized Irish. Yeah, Thank you.
2: Yes. The colonized Irish. But the two yeah. evil twins born out of the Renaissance, let me get this out real quick, were the Enlightenment, who doubled down on that dualism, and the Reformation, who also doubled down on that dualism. So it became those those words uh, that were truth, not your experience, that mattered. So that's where disembodied theology comes in, right? We don't have to embody our theology anymore because it's the ethereal plane that's more important. And that's why in Europe, they were all killing each other over their denominations and what they believed and how you baptize and you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So all of that comes about through Western Christianity. And then, uh, you know, and if, you know, I know the Foursquare well. They wanted me to become one of their ministers at one time. I know the Assemblies of God. I know the Church of God. I know all those Pentecostal denominations. They need to only go back to Azusa Street and see where they went wrong, right? Because, you know, they all have some repenting to do, and there's a reason why. You know, the black Pentecostal denominations are separate from the white Pentecostal denominations. And, and, you know, that's their moment of repentance. They need to go back and say, oh, what God was doing was showing us that all people are equal. And instead, we we took the manifestations and made those the most important thing, which is a classic dualistic thing to do, right?
3: And it also, I mean, ultimately, it comes down to power, right? And Derrida, I write about uh, everything that you're talking about in, in one of my books, and I also talk about how Derrida the deconstructionist would say, like you can take that hierarchy and you can flip it to try to equalize things, but then you still have the same, you still have the same binary. You still have the same problem where there's one that's higher than another, which I think we see, you know, in, in some of the ways of, of progressive resistance um, to the top, to uh, I think a point that David was making earlier, Charles, um, Mark Charles makes this point that, for example, um, when Black people are seeking out forms of reparation, they, the form that they would reach out, that they would seek would be, for example, land ownership. And Mark Charles is saying, okay, so you're, you're moving into the same capitalist um, structure and saying that's reparations, but, but that is, where did that land come from, right? You're, you're, that land itself that you're, you're saying is your reparation is stolen land itself, right? Yeah. So it's this idea of, of power I'm also thinking about um, this A friend of mine who sent me an article from a Christianity Today editor where it was saying that pastors are being confronted, but when they preach something like the Beatitudes are being confronted by Mm -hmm. parishioners who are coming up to them and saying, where'd you get that woke message you need to be? And and they're like, uh, it's the literal words of, well, it's the words of Jesus according to scripture, right? And so, there's this idea that I'm going to like scripture, I'm going to like theology, as long as it serves my desire for power.
2: Yeah, and yeah. I'm
3: wondering where, where, where do you, what, what's your thought on it?
2: This is not new by any means. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I attended for my master divinity. I attended Easter Baptist Theological Seminary in um, Philadelphia, which had folks like Ron Sider. And uh, Tony Campolo and people like that, and you know yep. they were being when 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 Cider, for example, came out with Rich Christians in Age of Hunger, he was persecuted terribly. Campolo, they created the heresy trials for him. Uh, it was you know, but the difference between then and now because that those feelings and those people who always been there with that uh, myth of America uh, spirit, and uh, but now they've been given permission right by the last president and so he gave everyone permission to speak it loudly and speak it often mm-hmm. and to actually accompany it with violence so that's why we're experiencing what we're experiencing but it's nothing new the same mm-hmm. prophets have been preaching Jesus words and they've been pers- being persecutors ever since Jesus said that. So, yeah
1: you, you you mentioned uh and i'm i'm going to look forward to going back and listening to this whole uh show again but uh you mentioned uh, azusa street and I, um, maybe about 35 years ago, I read the, the official history of uh, the Assemblies of God. Even, I have no formal relationship with them, but I, I, I was just into reading church histories at that time. And so I read, uh, written by a man by the name of uh, Vincent Sinon, who, who has since passed away. But I read this, and it the book had nothing to say about the church of god in christ and i think you you know the church of god in christ is a historically black denomination that the assemblies came out of right
2: it's, i think it's the largest black denomination in america
1: it is but yeah. it, but it but but it but the assemblies you know at azusa street there was you know there was not this segregation that society had and so um the first assemblies ministers were, were ordained in the Church of God in Christ. <laughs> then they had a conference. The and white guys, oh, yeah. yeah. The white guys had a conference and decided they wanted to leave the Church of God in Christ uh together. And they did, and they formed the assemblies of God. All right. Well, the official history at that time did not mention any of this. It the Church of God in Christ was not in the book. Mm-hmm. So I wrote Vincent Sinon. And a few years later, he wrote another history of the Assemblies of God, and it was very different. He mentions, you know, that story. But, you know, how can you, how can you be in this kind of denial, you know, this racial denial? It's just the way that church is
2: done in our country yeah. to, to whitewash this every story. The, the answer to how is because we, we put up with it. If we don't stand for it, they won't keep doing it. Not, you wrote him and something changed. Um, now, it doesn't always happen that way, right? Sometimes you no, have to. No, I was surprised. Like, I, didn't, I was surprised, yeah. You have to sometimes show up. Sometimes people just don't realize their own uh, short-sightedness. Yeah. You know? And, of um, course,
1: I, d- I don't think that my letter was the only factor. I think society was changing, you know, yep. to, you know the convulsions around race. And so things that were acceptable in one era may not be acceptable in the other. But we're living with this kind of reconstruction mentality right now, where yeah. so many people want to go back.
2: The, the lesson lost right now, I mean, I, I really love what I'm seeing from um, millennials and Gen Zs in terms of their activism and showing up and things like that. But, but the lesson that's being lost from the civil rights movement is that you have to you have to stand in the way of this uh, uh, unbridled capitalism in order to make a difference. So in other words, you follow the dollar and then you stop the dollar. And when you stop the dollar, that's when people make changes because it's the mm. corporations who are creating the uh, lobbyists who are creating the policies, et cetera, et cetera. And when they start losing money, they start changing. You, you know, uh,
1: we also started talking about solidarity, um, among peoples, uh, in order to re- a- achieve equity and justice. Can you say something about the fragmentation in indigenous, indigenous nations, uh, within the United States and also, you know, maybe Canada, Mexico, all of that, but specifically within the U S.
2: Yeah. Well, it's been, it's the same divide and conquer mentality. The the Bureau of Indian Affairs went in and trained everybody to run their tribes, you know, sort of like they want. And, and there's a limited amount of sovereignty, which limited sovereignty is not really what you call sovereignty, by the way. Right. Um, it's sovereignty. What the colonizer allows you to have sovereignty to up to that limit. Right. So um, I think the only hope for our tribes is to go back to a traditional form of governance. Um, even if that means cutting off the United States government and all the the uh, benefits that 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 entails. And that's tough because uh, Native tribes, by and large, are very poor. They don't have the resources that a lot of other people have. Everybody thinks all the tribes have casinos, but it's just very, very, very few that actually have them and make them compared to how many tribes there are. And by the way, um, I'll just uh, speak to this as well. There are at least as many non-federally recognized tribes as there are federally recognized tribes. So Lot and more they get in, pitted uh,
1: against each in, other.
2: Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's it's a it's a sad state of affairs. It's that uh, the idea of divine and conquer. Um, and uh, in what ways
3: in what ways do they get pitted against? Is it over resources, or how how does that happen?
2: Yeah, it's over resources. For example, let's look at let's just look at the United Ketua Band Cherokees and Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma. The United Kootenai band are a much smaller group. Uh, they're a federally recognized group now, but um, it, they didn't organize until 1945, I think it was. And um, but these are all the mostly full blood language speakers, a lot of the tradition keepers. Whereas the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma doesn't have a blood quantum; you just had to be a, a member of the Dawes Roll back in you know the back the turn of the 19th, 20th century. And um, and so the Cherokee Nation fought uh, the Katoas in every every stage. There. Rated their bingo parlors, had them raided. They just fought against their because they were competition, right? Um, another uh, the the, uh, uh, the eastern band of Cherokees in North Carolina fight against recognition of the Lumbees because they want to be the only ones recognized in North Carolina, but and the, get the okay. block grants and all that, and I have to you know share those things. The uh, uh, one of the tribes out here. Um, I'm not going to mention the names because um, I'm still living here, but uh, but one of the tribes wanted to start a casino closer to Portland than the other tribe had a casino. And the other tribe was becoming very wealthy because of the casino. So they started a campaign saying how terrible it would be for these people to have a casino, that they were going to ruin nature and all this kind of stuff. And and then at the very end of the commercial, you've seen these little, little letters, you know, the name of the other tribe, right? So, um, mm. Uh, it, you know, it's it's those are not our values. Those are not traditional Native values. Right. Um, so so and, right here, uh, around w- where
1: I live, you uh, know, Chumash, unceded Chumash land. Uh, it's the Santa I- Santa Inez uh, band of Chumash that has the casino, and you know the the revenue flows uh, to that particular band. But there are other Chumash bands that don't have casinos. So that right there is a mixture for, for, you know, for volatility.
2: Yeah. And one says, oh, you're not really Indian. And, you know, and it's true that there are like fake Indians out there. Right. That's always been a thing. But, um, the majority of the, the problem is that the prejudice that comes against like people like me, who I'm a recognized legal descendant. Right. But a lot of people say, well, you're not a real Indian, you know, Um, because you're not a tribal member of a federally recognized tribe. But I'm a recognized descendant of a federally recognized tribe. In other words, they recognize my descendancy. I just don't have enough blood quantum to so I have a three sixteenth blood quantum instead of a quarter, right? So that means I can't be a tribal member. There's lots of people out there like that. There's lots of people out there and these other groups that are, you know, in other states who um who clearly have native blood, they have ancestry, you know, but for one reason or another, they can't become federally recognized. And so You know, a lot of the federally recognized people, what I call the Indian police, will, uh, you know, like say, oh, they're fakes. And, you know, that I know people um, who are practicing, they've been practicing their religion in like Missouri for hundreds of years. Cherokee people stomp dance. They've been carrying on the religion. They speak the language, all these kinds of things. And they'll say, oh, well, those are fake Indians. Right. So, so it's It's just reminiscent.
3: It's it's reminiscent of the one drop rule, which comes from, white supremacy right like this is but this is in
2: yeah the end goal of colonialism is not just your bodies the end goal of colonialism is to colonize your mind and so now Mm -hmm. once you have other people of who are colonized oppressing other people they've succeeded Mm -hmm. completely right Right. it's Mm -hmm. it's you know hey if we can teach them to be like us the colonizer and oppress the people you know other people then I have a, I have a
3: question. I have a question about decolonizing. Um, as I, 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 with two co-authors, wrote a book called um, Wait, Is This Racist? And it's a guide for white churches to become anti-racist. And one of my, we were, all three of us, using the word decolonization, quite frankly, or like throughout the book. And, and one of my co-authors, who is a black biracial man, um, brought it to our attention that he was um taught by an indigenous person that we should be very careful about how we use that word because it it is it points to a very specific experience of indigenous people um particularly so do you do you share that idea like is there something in my mind as a white-bodied person that should be decolonized um how does that how does that work
2: yeah no i, I wouldn't agree with that i think we all need decolonizing from the western worldview. Um, and to okay. me it's very simple people always say, well give us a definition and i think in my books i have some definitions that are more you know hoity-toity but but basically it just means to peel back the layers of the onion that are the lies you know in our right. own lives and then the systems around us in our government etc in our church to start peeling those layers back and then realizing them for what they are right so that's the decolonization mm-hmm. process
3: thank you i appreciate that
2: And once you start peeling back a few lies, like the whole thing falls apart, right?
3: Indeed. Any good deconstruction starts with a tiny little string. (laughs) Usually. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we are nearing the end of our hour together. Is there, the the question that always comes to my mind that I'm always wondering about is, is I, I always feel like there's this failure of imagination. And I, we talked a little bit about this, um, and when I say that, I'm really talking more uh, among white people, like how, what's to, what's beyond our whiteness um, but but just from a from a collective standpoint, what what's the place that we have yet to imagine um, as a collective that could bring us to something that is uh, beyond supremacy culture, beyond the colonized mindset? What does that look like? What does it taste like, feel like, smell like for you? Yeah.
2: So the big picture is just a one-two process, right? The big picture is um, that we, uh, we all decolonize. And the second thing is that for, for Native people, it's, we call it re-indigenization. Um, mm-hmm. And you could probably call that for other people too, but we all have to indigenize. Like we, we know that taking on those Native values is what we need to do in America because we learned, you know, for thousands of years ago how to like, live with the land and with each other and live with more diversity than we even have now, uh, more religious diversity, et cetera, with tolerance. If we take on those native values, um, they'll show us how to live that way. Um, but we all need to then indigenize to this land with those values and with our own values and our own ceremonies and our own, We don't want people to become native. We want them to become Indigenous. That's different than, you know, acting like Natives and doing our stuff and you know, all that kind of stuff. So it, it's like, you know, you're talking about your Irishness, you know. Well, you know, whether Irish people are like it or not, that's that's who made you. And those Irish ancestors look forward to you being here, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and, yeah. and doing something good on the Earth probably. And so we all need to Indigenize. So that's that's the ultimate goal. Is that we all need to indigenize
1: Roxanne Thank Dunbar Ortiz, who I know you're familiar with. Uh, she she writes about uh, African Americans as indigenous people, still, um, you know, ripped away from from our 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 motherland. But that didn't not didn't stop us from being indigenous, and so our roots are still there, and our ancestors, uh, as you said, they have a they have yearnings for us, and that's why so many Black folks are wearing t-shirts that say, I am my ancestor's wildest dream, you know, and, and yeah. similar things, uh, statements, because uh, there is in this, you know, in the past generation or so, there has been a reconnection with our ancestors, which is very indigenous.
2: Exactly. Yeah, it's very Western to go, oh, you know, I can just reinvent myself in every generation, you know. that's the That's the quote-unquote American dream, but in the Native, well, you got to look back to go forward, right?
1: Well, yeah. you know, it, it, because there's no relationship with the land. Yeah. There's...
2: And, and so you're meeting the land, you're meeting your ancestors, you're meeting all those, that, what do we call it, force? Um that goes into you being here, and so you have to acknowledge those things. And so, it's a beautiful discovery. I see why people discovering this all the time. In in the book I wrote, "Becoming Rooted: 100 um, Days to Reconnect with Sacred Earth," I talk over and over and over again, especially in the introduction, about what it means. To, I say, I must say, at least ten times in the book, we're all indigenous from somewhere. We just okay, forgotten got it. How So, we, we Randy, forgot our, our
1: do you do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, you know we're a very mobile society, you know. I mean, people get jobs or get married, and they, they just go and live, you know, a thousand miles away, or 100 miles away. But d- does that do something within our psyche?
2: T- talk about that for a moment. Well, that, that's a whole big subject, so I can't talk for long about it, but basically, <laughs> um, what that does is if, if we have to be connected to the land to be indigenous, that's just the first step. And so whose land, right? And so 70% of Native Americans live off the reservation and in urban centers now. You know, are they still indigenous? So they have to learn, like my wife and I, neither we're in a land that's not our own. This is the land of the California people. And so we have to learn who they are and uh, what they value and what in particular was important to them. And then when when we started doing our ceremonies here, I well, even before we moved in our last house, I, I went to the appropriate people and I asked for permission to, to be here yeah. and, and ask, you know, what would they recommend? And, and they told us, you know, like plant, you know, native plants, basically, plant huckleberries, is what they told us. But um, uh, that we could practice our own ceremonies here. So I got permission to do that, you know. Um, and, uh, and, and that doesn't mean that, like, we ignore them. No, we go to their stuff. We go to their website. We read books about them. We, we try to understand who they are and respect the fact that, that this was really land that, that they were responsible for. So, um, so it entails all of that. Right? It's exciting if you think about it. You know? now, It is exciting. We're in our own lands, but we can learn to appreciate it to some level with respect. Yeah, I, I, I think it's interesting that when I asked the question to the chairperson, uh, her first concern was about the land you know like take care of the land so i think that's the most important thing
1: you know you said that's exciting you know what else is exciting us having this opportunity to talk
2: with you today it.
3: thank you so much it was a great conversation
2: yeah yeah it comes out and i'll send some people to listen to it
1: awesome that's we it. we love that thank you so much randy right. randy woodley Thanks. everybody
0: Thank you so much for being here today. We are people who have left behind performance-based religion and the shame that comes with it. Maybe you have a personal liberation story to tell and we want to know about it. Please contact us on Twitter at God is not an asshole or text 805-703-8393 because the world needs to know that God is not an asshole.